630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Tuning in tonight, we'll get to Jody Shelley in a few minutes here. Television analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets on Fox Sports Ohio. And uh, we had Enforcers Week last week. Brent Gogol, Kerry Toporowski, Tony Twist on the show. Jody was an enforcer himself, so I'm sure he'll have some stories for us. The Big L texting in with some uh, comparisons of the Oilers after 30 games this year as compared to last season. They obviously do not have a very good record this season. They are 12-16-2. Not good. Uh, Last year, after 30 games, they had a better record, though it wasn't outstanding. They were 14-11-5, so certainly better, but they had not won half their games. They were over 500, but they had not won half their games. Don't forget, last year, even though the Oilers started 7-1, and one, they did endure a five-game losing streak in November, at five regulation losses in a row where they didn't even get a point. And the Big L saying 104 points left on the table, the Oilers, if they can get 70 points, might be able to grab a wildcard spot. Now, that's really good. 70 out of 104 points, Big L. But I did the math last year, and over their final 52 games, the Oilers went 33-15-4 for exactly 70 points. And they wound up 47-26-9. So, now, here's the thing. Here And look, I, I try to be optimistic, and, and I do think the Oilers are, are capable of playing better than they have more consistently. And they actually put two good games together back-to-back on the road Saturday and Sunday, but they just could not get one past Curtis McElhinney last night. If they come out and, and play with that tenacity and forecheck again tomorrow in Columbus, I'll, I'll be further encouraged. Unfortunately, this year they, they haven't looked like a team that can string a long, successful run together where maybe you know you go... Uh, 10-3-1 and one over 14 games or something like that. Pick pick whatever chunk of games you want. Uh, I mean, they're 5-4 and four in their last nine. That's their best stretch of the season. We all know they have yet to win three games in a row. They have yet to grab points in three games in a row. They have two two-game winning streaks. They have another two-game set where they had an overtime loss and a win. But just for the sake of argument, to go along with what the Big L is saying, if the Oilers were to once again go 33-15-4 over their final 52 games, they would finish 45-31-6 for 96 points, which should get them into the playoffs. Now, again, that's, that's a really good stretch to get in. And also last year, don't forget, the Oilers finished 12-2. I, I think there's a team in there that can put a good stretch together. I've been, I've been saying that since they were one and four. I think there is a team in there that can put a good stretch together. It's it's just a matter of whether or not they can find the consistency to do it, overcome some poor special teams, or get going on the special teams. 
uh, get solid goaltending. And I don't, I don't have a problem with Brassois' last three games, quite frankly. I, I know the one yesterday when I saw it go in, I kind of was like, oh, no. See the replay, you know, kind of a funny one. He stops it, goes to close his pad, and the process of him closing the pads actually wound up knocking the puck into the net. So kind of a, you know, kind of a bad break, and the Oilers couldn't get one at the other end. That'll happen. So if they can actually pull out 70 of 104 points to end the season, which they did last year, that would get them to 96 this year, which which would get them in. 54 games to go. If they win half... That gets them the 39 wins. Ugh. Yeah, I know, 88 points and then plus whatever overtime losses you have. Going to be tough, but tomorrow against Columbus, it's on 6.30, Chad, 3.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 5. If you live in Ohio, you can watch Jody Shelley on Fox Sports Ohio. He's a Blue Jackets analyst. Jody, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for having me on out in Western Canada. Yeah, here, here we are. Oh, man, you, Jody, I was uh, I was downtown uh, Edmonton today. I was a good son, took my mom Christmas shopping, went for lunch. There's there not a lot of people, but there were a few people walking around without jackets. That's how unseasonably warm it is. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Well, I'll tell you what, speaking of your mom, I, I spoke with my mom today. It's her birthday, Doreen Shelley, and she told me. And it was a balmy plus seven today, so that's good. Yeah, it's pre- it's pretty incredible. Yeah, we're we're pretty lucky. But we every, everybody everybody <laughs> it. Everybody's got the snow shovels and the snow blowers at the ready, though, just because <laughs> it's coming eventually, right? Oh, uh, yeah, you can't believe that those get too far away. From you. <laughs> but enjoy it, enjoy it, Reed. Jody, it's it's great to have you on the show. Kind of interesting timing that we got the Oilers in Columbus tomorrow, and, and you and I often do this before an Oilers Blue Jackets game. Last week on on Inside Sports, I had Enforcers Week, and I had Brent Gogol and Gary Toporowski on the show, who each had over 500 minutes in a season in uh, the Western Hockey League, and then Tony Twist uh, joined me as well. And now we're and now we're talking to you, and you were uh, you were no stranger to getting the odd penalty minute yourself here or there. Uh, no, but I didn't get to 500. I only got to 425 one year, and that was in Halifax. I was in the Quebec League. But yeah, that's uh, those are some classic names right there from. Uh, Enforcers Week. That must have been a heck of a week for you. It was pretty fun, but so I, I guess I got to kind of have you as a, a continuation before we you get talking sure. about tomorrow's game. Where where did it start for you? Because the old the old cliche is uh, no seven year old kid goes in his driveway and dreams of getting in a fight in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. He dreams of scoring no. the goal. But where did it start for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I grew up a Wayne Gretzky and Edmonton Oilers fan. I was in Western Canada out in British Columbia, and when I we moved to Nova Scotia, the Halifax Mooseheads. When I turned 18, they opened up a camp, uh, their their inaugural season, a training camp in Halifax, and I got invited. A kid from Yarmouth, which is three hours away, it's a lobster fishing community, three hours south of Halifax, and I'd never been in a fight in my life to that point. My dad and mom, uh, the referees, you weren't allowed to talk back to the referees. Uh, teachers were off limits. They were always right. Never, they were never wrong. And my mom was a teacher, and uh, no, never any kind of altercation whatsoever. So um, I went to this training camp, and I caught wind that they had a guy uh, who was being paraded around town uh, and on billboards, on radio shows, and that he was wasn't as tough as what they seem. He was a big guy. But he wasn't as tough, and I know whoever relayed this to me. I, I, I looked at him. And I said, "Well, that has nothing to do with me. I, I'm not a fighter. You got the wrong guy." 
well, uh, the guy who told me this, he said, listen, if you want to make an impression in training camp with 85 guys going to camp, uh, it might not be a bad way to do it. And so it ended up that I went to this training camp as an 18-year-old Quebec major junior camp. Uh, this guy actually came after me because I was a taller kid, not very big, but tall. And I ended up doing all right. And being a local boy and, and willing to do that, uh, I found my niche. And I just, I, it's something that I wanted to make that team so bad, um, I would have done uh, any kind of job. So that was my job, and I went with it and took it as far and as long as I could uh, and came across some interesting people on and off the ice doing it. I mean, I got to fight George Rock, of course, Bob Probert, uh, you know, God rest his soul, and, and guys like that, guys I looked up to just for being, uh, you know, big names in the NHL. So it was a good run, and, and I I, uh, I really enjoyed it, and that was my start. And if I had to do it over and start the same way, I, I would. Not, just not at the age of 41. I would have done it again at 18. <laughs> right, you'd go back to be at 18. You know, I, right, right, right. You know what's interesting, Jody, is because the – you know, I had one guest on who played junior in the uh, 70s and then a couple of other guys who were who were in the WHL more in the 80s. And, and I do the, the Oilers postgame show after every game with Rob Brown. And they they all have stories about brawls, not only in games, but sometimes in the warm-up. Now, you were playing junior in the 90s, and this was when... You know, there was obviously still fighting, but maybe they're trying to take a bit of the Wild West out of it, even though you were out in Quebec. Uh, what, what, was the craziest yeah. brawl, what was the craziest brawl you were in in junior? Well, in junior, we had one where I fought a goalie, and it was just the weirdest thing because a brawl breaks out in front of our bench, and the goalie is shouting my name from his crease at the far end, and now he's got his helmet off. And uh, so I look at him, and I look at my bench, and I think, well, what the heck? So I go down and fight this goalie who had a reputation for being a willing and a tough combatant. And that was one of the craziest ones. And that might have been in warm-up. It started in warm-up and ended up in the game. And then the next year in the Quebec League, and I'm not sure if they still do this at West, but you got your own separate warm-up. It used to be both teams warmed up together, but then they went to your own separate warm-up. So you got to warm up by yourself. <laughs> you do that, and then you'd go off, and the other team would come out warm up, full ice warm up, which is really strange. Uh, but I think they've since got away with that, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah, but Rob says in the WHL he had that for a while. They had to have separate warm ups because there were so many fights in the warm up. They just... oh, it's nonstop, and guys doing push ups on the line. <laughs> and it was just it was crazy what was going on. But yeah, warm up, guys shooting pucks at each other, no refs out there. I mean, it was a free for all. We used to go into Shawinigan. I mean, the, the fans were throwing uh, spoons and pennies and eggs and signs. It was crazy what was going on. Wait, wait wooden, what, like wooden spoons or like metal spoons? No, like metal spoons. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I, I crazy. I don't know if I've heard of that one before. That's, that's, that's an interesting one. You think a fork would be more well, dangerous? <laughs> the fork, yeah. The first time we went to Valdor, which is a gold mine community up in northern uh, Quebec, uh, the first goal they scored, they threw a live, or not a live, they threw an actual moose head on the ice. We were the Halifax Mooseheads. So out comes this, someone smuggled in a moose head, and I'll never forget the smell. And, I mean, we had to stop the game for like 15 minutes to get all the hair off the ice. But, uh, yeah, some rough rough communities passionate about their junior teams. And that's one good, good thing about junior. You almost felt like you had to fight because you were in their, their territory. And, you know, you wanted to show them uh, that you weren't going to back down. 
Well, that, that's that's kind of disgusting. That Moosehead story. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah my that's goodness. the right word for it. <laughs> uh, I got to ask you one more quick. You you, you played university hockey. Uh, I mean, I've uh, I, I've been watching U of A Golden Bears since I was as a student there. You know, twenty five years ago, and I, and I still love following the team. You played Dalhousie. Uh, you managed 145 penalty minutes in 19 games, but was was fighting allowed in the Atlantic League? No, 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 no. I had one fight, and I think I had to sit out a game or two for it. Uh, I was challenged. Yeah, I, you know, I was. Uh, I had a reputation going into that league, so I think they were waiting for more to break out than I was. I was happy not to continue to fight, but. Um, no, I was uh I wasn't a bully, I guess. I was a guy that just kind of you know, I was forceful out there. Knew I couldn't fight and enjoyed that hockey because it'd been 3 years since I could play a game without fighting, but of course, uh I got challenged and I I didn't want to back down. So, I, I picked up my one fight in that league. Nice. Jody Shelley joining us on Inside Sports. 627 games in the National Hockey League. Now an analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets. One of the stops in your uh, NHL career. Hey, uh, what's going Cam Atkinson was scratched the other night. What's going on with that? Well, Cam has been challenged by John Tortorella. And, you know, when you look at it, Cam just signed a seven-year contract extension that kicks in uh, next year. Uh, he's a veteran guy that got away from a few of the details that John Tortorella likes in the game, uh, curled away from a couple pucks a couple times, just little things. But it's something that crept into his game a few games back. Uh, they've had meetings, and, and uh, Cam continued to do it. So Torts just sends a message. And, you know, he scratched David Savard, a good uh, veteran for the Blue Jackets, good defensive veteran. Uh, a few games back, and it just puts everybody on notice. You know, he has the meetings, he tells them once, he meets with them privately, and then when he still sees it, he doesn't care who they are, they'll scratch him. So, you know, Cam is uh, Cam was at the rink today, smiling, ready to go tomorrow, so he'll be back in the lineup against the Oilers. But it's something that puts everybody on notice, and uh, it's just it's just what Torch does. That's how he keeps accountability. Uh, he doesn't let uh, doesn't care how long your contract is, what kind of money you're making. Uh, this team's going to play a certain way, and everyone's going to abide by what he asks. Obviously, the Blue Jackets had that great season last year, fourth overall, but thanks to the playoff format, they had to play the second overall team in the first round and wound up uh, getting bounced by the eventual champion, Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, the record looks uh, looks pretty good. Any uh, and, and I know last year's team had that incredible winning streak as well. Any Do you look at the Blue Jackets and say they picked up where they left off last year, or, or how would you characterize it? No, I, I I wouldn't. I would say that uh, you know their their top pair defensemen, Warenskin Jones, have had to adjust a little bit with how teams are playing them. You know, every team comes in with that game plan to shut down and defend, uh, and, and those are the guys that have lost a little time and space out there. They've adjusted well. Um, I think Bobrovsky has taken it to another level. That might sound crazy because he did win the Vesna for the top goalie in the National Hockey League last season. Uh, he is a special case when it comes to uh, approaching his job. He is uh, elite in his preparation. I mean, the amount of preparation that will go into his game day tomorrow is incredible. But he sticks with it every single day, methodical. Uh, he is always on top of his game. So uh, he's taken it to another level, I think. The Blue Jackets team has lost a few veteran guys, Hartnell, Gagne. The power play isn't great. Um, it hasn't been great for a while. So that's something that's dipped in their confidence. 
And um, they've got a lot of young guys on their team. They started the season with a lot of young players. And those guys are adjusting and, and really coming into form. Plus, Panera is a new player that had to learn the new system. I mean, you know, we want results right away. Here we are only 30 games into the season. And we're, we were thinking uh, 10 games ago that it, take, it was taking a while for, to find Panera and a line mate. But now he's settled into one, a top line with Dubois and Anderson. Uh, and we look at, we're only at the 30-game mark. So we're not that far in. This team is playing great hockey. A lot of it has to do with their goaltender. They win a lot of games two one, one nothing, three two. Um, so they're 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 struggling to score, but their goaltender is keeping them in every single game, and that's how they're finding ways to win. Well, it's going to be interesting tomorrow. You mentioned Bobrovsky having a great season. Saturday, the Oilers chased Carey Price after 22 minutes, and then last night they yeah. were shut out by Curtis McElhinney. So <laughs> scratch your head a bit on that one, eh? <laughs> Yeah, the guys in Vegas, the, the guys who do the odds, well, they get a tough time this week because that you're right, that's crazy. <laughs> Jody, it's always great having you on the show. Thanks for telling some great stories tonight. All the best tomorrow on your broadcast. It's going to be a fun one. My pleasure, Reed. Yeah, it's going to be a great game. The Oilers are coming in uh, looking for that victory. And, hey, we're excited to see Connor McDavid and the Oilers here. So should be fun. Thanks for having me on. Donate a toy today and make Christmas come true for 25,000 less fortunate kids through 630Chad Santa's Anonymous. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630Chad. Well, that was great having Jody Shelley on the show, former NHL enforcer. Columbus was one of his teams, now a television analyst for the Blue Jackets. He was talking about some of his adventures while playing for the Halifax Mooseheads in the Quebec Major Junior League in the 1990s. First time we went to Valdor, which is a gold mine community up in northern uh, Quebec, uh, the first goal they scored, they threw a live, or not a live, they threw an actual moose head on the ice. We were the Halifax Mooseheads. So out comes this, someone smuggled in a moose head, and I'll never forget the smell. And, I mean, we had to stop the game for like 15 minutes to get all the hair off the ice. But I had to go back and get that clip. So what happened at the game tonight? Oh, our guy scored, and we threw a severed head on the ice. My God, Kellen. That yeah. Jeez. I I'll never look at uh, the people in Detroit the same way again with the octopus. It's like, all right, that's fine. It could be a lot worse. It could be throwing, you know, a bear's head on the ice or something. I guess. <laughs> like whatever the other team's named after, that's what you throw on the ice. Wow. Yeah. All right, that was uh, that was an incredible story. I did not know that. Yeah, that was a, quite a quite a tale from from Jody Shelley. The things you see in junior hockey. Here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. We have the Islanders leading the Capitals three one in the third. Also in the third, Stars and Rangers now one one. Avalanche leading the Penguins one nothing. After two, Detroit is up one nothing on Florida. Late second period, Jets with a two one edge on the Canucks. Hurricanes and Ducks coming up a little bit later on tonight. Monday night football. New England just got a touchdown. They lead Miami seven six six eighteen left in the first half. All right. 
Oilers and Blue Jackets tomorrow. That's Furnace Family Oilers Hockey. Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. What's going to happen is the face-off show will start at 3.30 and then the game will start at 5. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Oilers roll out the same lineup. I mean, they played pretty well in Toronto. 41 shots last night just could not beat Curtis McElhenney. The Eskimos have traded James Franklin to Toronto for offensive lineman Mason Woods. We'll talk to the guy doing the snaps for the Eskimos offense. Center Justin Sorensen in studio when we get back. Please support 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. Find out how at santasanonymous.ca this is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Please be joined in studio by Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman Justin Sorensen. Justin, thanks for coming back on the show, man. How are you doing? Good, yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to see you again. Uh, obviously, uh, last year you were in studio and we've talked on the phone a couple of times. How's the off-season off treating you so far? You back to full working out? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, at the start of the off-season, you don't go into quite the heavy lifts and you got to give your body a little bit of a break, but just doing like high-intensity, high, intensity, high uh, low-weight stuff right now. What's the most painful or most sore part of your body once the season ends? Honestly, it's different every year. Like sometimes like one part of my knee or shoulder or my fingers, like it changes every year. It seems your fingers. Yeah. As an offensive lineman, your hands take a beating. So usually your fingers are pretty beat up by the end of the year. No, it's not from holding, right? Cause you're never holding. Well, I'm always holding. It's just inside the chest plate. <laughs> right. Right. Cause that's the legal holding, right? Exactly. So tell, tell, uh, describe the difference between a legal hold and an illegal hold to people. Give us the text. Well, if your hands are inside and like grabbing on the chest plate, and you you keep the guy in front of you. That's not holding. But if your hands get outside, or if your hands are inside and he's trying to run away, and your arms get extended away from your body, then it can get then you can get called for holding. So what is a defensive line? So I assume your forearms and wrists are often getting swatted at, though. Yeah, we get punched in the wrists and the arms and stuff all the time. Try people trying to break our our hold on them, but it's pretty tough to get away if you can get your hands inside on the chest plate. You don't you don't wear any padding on your arms, do you? No. No, I mean, it's, but man, your forearms are pretty strong. It's hard to, hard to break an uh, arm bone. Right? You're just getting clubbed all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so once a guy gets, uh, if he spins off you, though, you got to try and let go or shove him in, right? Yeah, exactly. When he, when, he, when he breaks away, but usually when they break away, the ball's thrown or the quarterback's rolling out and you need to let go anyways, right? Okay, so he's going to chase somewhere else. Because so, if the quarterback's still behind you, generally he's not trying to run away, right? Right. Okay. Well... Some good technical uh, specifications there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Justin. Well, it's, first of all, it's good to see you. Um, there is some Eskimos news today. Uh, James Franklin has been traded to Toronto. Um, I mean, look, you got the MLP at quarterback, yep. so there's not a lot of competition for that for that position. But tell us just a little bit about your impression of James and, and what you think he can do in the league. Oh, I love James. I thought he was a. I think he's a great player, and I think he'll do really well in Toronto if that's where he does sign. And uh, I hope him all the best because he definitely has skills and he definitely has a large opportunity to be a great quarterback in this league. And to be honest, he's he's a really good, like he's a great guy. He's like he's I consider him one of my buddies in the team, and he's always friendly, he's super nice, easy to get along with. So I can't see him not doing great out there and making a lot of friends in the process. How, how would you compare his skill set to other quarterbacks in the league? I mean, is he more? Let me put this: was he is he going to be more classic 
drop back? Is he going to run around a little bit more? Is, does he have a rifle for an arm? What do you What do you think? I think it's he's, he's kind of a little bit of all of that, and that's why he's a chance of being good because he can drop back and throw the ball. He's a strong arm, but he also can break out of the pocket and make some plays with his feet too. I mean, to be honest, he's not a whole lot different than Riley. I think they both got strong arms. Both can be pocket passers, or when the need is, get out and roll out. He may be a little more fleet of foot than Riley is now, but when Riley was younger, he ran all the time too. So, right. How did Franklin handle that backup position? Because look, Riley's starting every yeah. game unless he's unless he's hurt, and even sometimes when you guys were, you had a couple tough games mid-season. Yeah. Franklin only got into one of those. Riley yeah. kept playing in the in the Labor Day game. How did he handle that backup role? Honestly, he's he was a true pro. I mean, you never once heard Franklin grumbling saying he should be playing, he should be in there, but. He was always prepared and he was always ready and he handled it with a lot of grace and like a, like a true pro should. He knew he was the backup quarterback and he knew that he just had to wait his time and he'll get a chance in this league. And so you never heard him be negative or, or talk bad about the person in front of him or behind him. He was always just there, always prepared, always ready should that opportunity arise. And, and now I guess he's going to get a chance somewhere, which is very awesome for him, I think. What's up with him and O'Brien and all those crazy symbols, <laughs> they, uh, signals they would send in from the sideline? To be honest, I never got to see them, really. Because you're always in the because huddle I'm and always, ready. Or we were on the line of scrimmage, right? So I'm always looking <laughs> at the defense. But I've seen like clips of them or, like, or, or sometimes like when they post them, and they all look pretty funny. But I wish I could see more because apparently it was quite the comedic <laughs> now, event. Now, can you tell us, is any of that real or was that all distraction? It was all real. I mean, it all had something to it do with the It all had something call. to do with something. Yeah. Okay. Because based on like the formations or the play calls or whatever else, they do something crazy for it, which meant something. And but they did they always change it up too, right? So it's hard to get a read on what we're actually doing. But from my understanding, it was all real. It was it very all, entertaining. Like, like I, I, I sit on that side of the <laughs> the, the field, and so, and that was a nice little distraction to watch in between plays because they really went all out. Like they do like fishing stuff and Oh yeah, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. That's awesome. And like, I guess yeah. If people who aren't there to watch football are just there for entertainment, they can watch those two guys and they'd be good. <laughs> hopefully uh hopefully O'Brien can find a new partner in crime to continue it up next year. Yeah, he's gonna have to. She's Justin Sorensen from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Did you watch the Great Cup, Justin? Yeah, I watched it at a couple friends over and we watched it. Quite an ending, eh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Calgary seems to find a way to lose instead of because they, they, I thought they pretty much dominated most of the game, but they just let Toronto hang around and hang around, and then a few mistakes late really killed them. Do you find yourself like cheering against the Stampeders when you're you're watching, or once you're out, just just everybody's kind of an equal opponent from that year? Uh, no, I was cheering against Calgary for sure. I was hoping Toronto won. I mean, because it's because we have such a rivalry with Calgary, it's hard not to, and especially with, since I've been here for so long now. And Calgary usually plays so well in the regular season, and I wish they, I wish they would make mistakes like that against us, you know. But generally, when they play us, they're pretty, they're right. pretty don't make too many mistakes. <laughs> but I mean, that's just just how it goes, I guess. So I mean, we when we play them, we just got to play better, and we know they're not going to make mistakes against us, so we got to do the same thing. But yeah, I know. I mean, I was definitely not hoping that. Calgary didn't win just because, I mean, that it hurts us all around if, if Calgary keeps winning and we don't match that, right? How do you look back on your season now that it's been over for about a month? How do you look back on the Eskimos 12-6 and six West final? Well, I mean, ups and downs, right? And that's something everybody said about our season. We had, we had a long stretch in the middle there where we were, we were hurting a little bit. And, yeah, people say it's due to injuries and stuff, but the true fact is we just didn't play well enough in those in those 
it was, what was it, six or seven game skid there? Yeah. Uh, six, yes. Six, yeah. And so, but and then but then we played awesome the rest of our, all the other times. We're not awesome, but we played well enough to win the rest of those games. And I thought we had a great team. And and uh, I don't remember who told this to me, or somebody said this to me the other day. They're like, it seems like with Eskimos, no matter what happens, we're ready to go out and play, whether it's rain, snow, whatever else. And then someone said something about Calgary that Calgary is good when it's nice. And then as soon as bad things start to happen, they deteriorate. And so like they play to lose in the big game, some of the big games sometimes, whereas us, we're just ready to go out and play every time. Don't always win, but we don't let that bother us and let those excuses and things bother us. Oh, it's snowing. Who cares? It's raining. Who cares? Play football, right? Right. Uh, I mean, the West final, you got up 14, nothing. And then I think they outscored you 30 to one over yeah. about a 20 minute stretch of the game. So, uh, I mean, yeah, we won the first and fourth quarter. They yeah, won the second and they, third. They, right? they won by a little bit more the, the, than you yeah. were able to. Uh, what allowed them to control the game? And then what allows you guys to get it back in it in the fourth? Honestly, that's kind of, kind of how I feel like that's kind of how we played all year. Maybe we, maybe we weren't always hot out the gate, but it seemed like we were always really good in the fourth quarter. So next year, I guess, and we always seem to have a lull in the second and third quarter a little bit, the start of the third and the second, I found at least. So we just need to find a better way to make sure we're playing that full 60 minutes and not have the lulls. And that's kind of what it seemed like. Like We came up, we definitely came out fired up for that game. And two quick scores, and then it kind of seemed like, oh, well, we're up two touchdowns. We kind of had a lull for two quarters, and then, oh, crap, they start scoring, scoring, scoring. And then by the time we flipped it around, not that it was too late, but we had to do some serious work to get back in that game to win it or, or at least tie it. All right. And, uh, and your coach obviously was uh, – his, his call late in that game was, was heavily criticized, taking you guys off the field, kicking the field goal. Unfortunately, you never got to run another offensive play. At the time when you're called off the field – I, I mean, did you, you? I mean, are you even thinking about it at the time, or do you have to think so fast? It's just like, okay, he wants us off. I mean, what's going through your mind? Well, I'm a football. I'm a football player who's played a lot of snaps in this league and played for a long time, so I, I'm aware of every situation. Right. I mean, there's not. If you play long enough, you've seen pretty much everything, so you're aware of everything that's going on and all the situations. So, I mean, but it's ultimately it's his call. He's the one who takes the heat or the praise, right? So that he he just he thought we had a chance of kicking the field goal, getting the ball back, and going down and scoring again, and that was his call to make. That's why he's up there and I'm down here, right? But I mean, I, I, either way, I would have been happy. I mean, I I thought if we got the ball back, we could have scored, and then we would have won. Whereas if we would have went for that third down and converted and scored, and but then even then, if you score. Calgary gets the ball back on the 35. They need they just need to go 40 yards and then kick a field goal back for the win, right? So I mean, it's, there's different ways of looking at it. If the way the, the way he chose, if we would if we would have won that two and out, got the ball back for the minute thirty, that's that's more than enough time for our offense to score. Whereas if we go for the third down conversion and score on it or score right there afterwards, then Calgary gets the ball two and a half minutes, and all they need is a field goal to win. So uh, just different approaches and different ways of looking at it. I can't say I agree or disagree, but I was aware of the call and. I thought I had faith in our offense to go and score another time if we got the ball back. That w- that created obviously a lot of discussion and writing and, and all that stuff after you made the call. Are, when you watch another CFL game or an NFL game, do you find yourself being an armchair quarterback or a coach, or can you just not 
that you just don't bother with, with that because you you know what the guys on the field are going through. No, I definitely, I definitely, when I watch games, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would have called that, <laughs> or like you see mistakes and you're like, oh, that hurts. Like, like even like both throwing the pick or down in the Saints last weekend. It was last or last weekend of the Saints, right? Where Drew Brees throw the interception right. right at the very end. Same thing, like, well, I kick a field goal for the win, just run the ball and kick a field goal or whatever. But, I mean, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to score touchdowns. And and if you make that play, then you're a hero. But sometimes you don't, and then sometimes it's at horrible times, right? But, yeah, when I watch games, I definitely am like, oh, sometimes I cringe. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I yell Sometimes I yell at the TV, like, what are you doing? But generally when I'm the one playing, you leave it up to the coaches and obviously you, you still have feelings and you still get mad or angry or happy and stuff. But when it's your own team, you try and just keep most of your thoughts or feelings to yourself. And sometimes you don't always succeed. You, the, I mean, we're, we're human beings. We do get angry and, or, or happy. So, but generally you try and keep on an even keel when you're playing. But like, if I'm watching a game, sure. I'll yell. And like, sometimes be like, Oh, that's probably wasn't the best call there. <laughs> Justin Sorensen from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us tonight. Uh, Mark Way McDaniel had some uh, pretty strong words after after the Great Cup for uh, for Kamar Jordan who, who fumbled on the play and talking about ball security. If if you had a if you know if you crit- were kind of criticized publicly by a teammate or had teammate A do that to teammate B, would you feel that would need to be smoothed over before the start of the next season? Oh, absolutely. I, I think there's no place for that. I mean, it's different if you want to go up to the guy personally and have a conversation with them and then you guys can talk to each other but to openly call somebody out in front of in front of media and fans and stuff i think there's no place for that because i mean if they obviously if somebody plays bad then they might not have a job next year and that's what it comes down to it as a teammate you there's no reason to go call somebody out especially when your teammates in the media if you have a problem with someone go and tell him personally like if guys are doing stuff like we, we get mad at people sometimes, but we do it the right way in a closed setting where the outsiders aren't a part of it. I think that going and calling someone out in person is or to behind somebody's back to the media, even if he is sitting down the row or whatever, I don't think there's that should happen in sports and it shouldn't be part of it because you're a team and you're a group, good, bad or indifferent. You should be you should be together and you shouldn't be criticizing each other in, the, in an open forum like that. And I mean, again, too, if you're going to criticize somebody, you better be playing a perfect game. I mean, I, I, I we were, I was at the stadium earlier working, working out, and they had the top 30 plays of the year on whatever. When there was that, there was that fumble return. Um, on, whenever he fumbled the one yard line, the fumble yep. return. You, you watch him uh, chasing the guy McDaniel, down. Daniel, yeah. You watch Ch- chasing you, in quotes. You watch McDaniel. He's running about three quarter speed down that sideline. He didn't give his 100 percent effort there either. So, if you're going to call someone out, you better be playing perfect in return. Yeah. Well, I. Look, maybe it's obviously easy for me to say, but I didn't think Jordan was carelessly reaching for you know more yards or flaunting the ball and holding it out there, right? I mean, he got he got stripped. He's, yeah, he's playing football. Bad things happen sometimes. Nobody's perfect. I can promise you that. I'm far from perfect. I make mistakes just as much as anybody else. And so, I mean, you strive for perfection, but if people played perfect games, then scores would be 150 to 150. <laughs> But then that wouldn't happen either. I'd like to defense. see that at least once, maybe. But then the defense isn't playing perfect. Well, right? good point. Good point. So. <laughs> Justin, you did something uh, pretty fun last week. Why did you go to Edmonton Christian Northeast School at 7.30 in the morning? <laughs> well, I, I live here in the off season, and I love going out and being involved in the community. 
That's why I go on the radio all the time. That's why I try and do as many events with kids and stuff like that. And because I remember when I was a kid, when people would come into the school, whatever it was for, for assemblies, or we didn't have many school pro- after school or before school programs like that. But I used to remember people come in for assemblies and talk to us and whether they're a professional athlete or some other figurehead in a different, different area. I used to think that was so cool that they would take time out of their busy lives, their important lives to come in and talk to us and give us their message. And so when I got into the league, one of my biggest personal goals was to be involved as much in the community as I possibly could. And so that's what I've been doing when I was in BC and Winnipeg, I was super involved in their community relations and, now, since I've been in Edmonton, too, I always go up to them, like, anytime you need anybody, I'm in, I'll do it. If I can touch one kid's life and make him have accomplished dreams or dream bigger doing something like that, that's awesome. And so if you can get into the community and, and, and help kids dream bigger and, and, and help them try to treat, achieve goals and, and plan goals and try and do awesome things in their life, then that's awesome. If, even if you can help out one kid, but I want to try and help out as many as I can while I have my platform to do that. So you were working out with a hundred kids. Yeah. That there was a crazy lot of kids. In, yeah. Well, I did two schools this week. Okay. Uh, one of them was only like 30. So that's easy. But then the <laughs> other one was like a hundred kids and there was a lot. But the, the good thing there is that the, the PE teacher there, he had, uh, they've been running this program there already. And so the kids kind of knew what they were doing a little bit. I just came in and gave it a bunch more energy and a few different ideas. And so, it was good because the teacher there helped out a lot, and he already had the kids pretty much knowing what they were doing. But, yeah, 100 kids in a gym is gets pretty crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, well, actually, I'm here. We have My family and my fiance's family are both split and with someone and, and remarried or whatever else now. So we actually have four Christmases. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we just did one this Well, week. for an old lineman, yeah. that's a lot of turkey, right? Oh, yeah. We did one this weekend, <laughs> we have one next weekend, and then we have two for Christmas. Oh, all, all in and around Edmonton, or are yeah. you traveling? Red Deer and Edmonton. Red Deer and Edmonton. Yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome. Justin, uh, it's always great to have you on the show. You're such a well-spoken guy, and uh, and I know people love that, that you've made Edmonton your off-season home, so uh, people really appreciate that and great stuff with all the work you're doing with schools and with My kids. My forever home. There it is. Yeah. Well said. Thanks for coming by, buddy. No worries. Thanks. The Winnipeg Jets have beaten the Vancouver Canucks. Or, or, well, no, they haven't because it's only after two periods. <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself. It's 3-1 for the Jets leading the Canucks after two. In the third, Detroit is up one nothing on Florida. These games are finals. The Avalanche edge the Penguins 2-1. Blake Como gets the game winner. The Stars knock off the Rangers 2-1 in a shootout. And the Islanders beat the Capitals 3-1. Monday night football at the half. Miami 13, New England 10. Eskimos news today. James Franklin traded to Toronto along with a third-round draft pick. The Eskimos get offensive lineman Mason Woods. Tenth overall pick in 2017 by the Argos. Six foot nine, 324 pounds. The Eskimos have also signed quarterback Eli Jenkins from Jacksonville State. Tomorrow, the Oilers end their three-game road trip at Columbus. Face-off show on Chet at 3.30. The game starts at 5. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer is Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.